Hello. Um, I had a very, very surreal realization once whilst I was writing this piece on Palantir that we've posted on, on Dantons.com. I think writing, by the way, is amazing for accelerating learning. It's my new initiative now to write more in depth, in detail, spend my time writing and go into topics in which I believe others haven't covered uh, fr from, from a certain perspective. So the title of the article is called Palantir's Technologies will be as influential for this century as the radar was for the last. Let me just repeat that because I think it's really important. Palantir's Technologies will be as influential for this century as the radar was for the last. Now, many people don't understand or they haven't looked into the radar and how influential it was uh, for Britain winning the war. And whilst reading and writing, I couldn't help but draw some drastic similarities between Palantir and the radar that I wanted to share with you. So the following article is based on Alex Karp's speech, the first 10 minutes specifically. And within the writing, uh, I unpacked his commentary, gave my analysis on Palantir, a philosophical spin, a spin that other people haven't really looked into. And as I've stated, whilst writing I had a very surreal realisation that Palantir's technologies will be as influential for this century as the radar was for the last, and I'm going to explain that momentarily. Firstly, I wanted to touch upon software and AI, and the point that Alex Karp was making uh, within the first few minutes of his speech. It's pretty clear uh, that over the past few years, and the past years specifically, during this Ukrainian-Russian war, we've had a transformative shift in warfare. A shift that I believe is going to produce ripple effects that will be apparent in 10, 15, 20 years time from now. Society will never be the, the same after this war. I'm certain of it. We should not trivialise the disruption of this change and how the ripple effects of this war will transform the way geopolitical tensions are treated. It's an absolute necessity to understand this. And I really believe we've surpassed and we're entering into a period of software and... Ukrainian-Russian conflict has just been a huge accelerant for this. I think it's really, really wise to study this warfare. It's really, really wise to understand the role software and AI has played in transforming Ukraine into a pure juggernaut and how this will translate into NATO, governments around the world, but also the commercial space. The fact that Ukraine has been empowered by Western software has ultimately resulted in what, what one may call the David versus Goliath situation, the small guy totally whipping the arse of a big guy. And previously this was not the case. Beforehand, the nation that had the biggest, bu biggest budget and the most expensive physical weaponry was the one that won. It was almost pretty much certain that if you had a bigger budget, you therefore could afford better technologies when it came to physical weaponry, and you would win. In fact, that was the case before the war. So you had an interesting situation in which, during this conflict, when the war broke out, everyone was almost certain that Russia, the nation in which contains the most nuclear weaponry, a very, very wealthy nation, a nation that is perceived as to be one of the most dangerous nations in the world, would totally destroy Ukraine, a very small nation, with little weaponry and actually no nuclear weapons. This was not the case, and this is what I really want to reiterate. This was not the case at all. In fact, it was the complete opposite. That is a huge change in the way that we perceive warfare from now on. Things will never be the same. Never. 
I think we have a situation now in which smaller nations can be transformed into basically juggernauts via the use of software solutions. And this shows what Alex Kopp has been reiterating for many, many years now. The fact that software is exponential. It's not linear. If you have the best software, you are going to win. End of. This is not like, you know, player one and player B, uh, and, and, and the second player has another software solution that is fairly good, and the second player garners a large market share. It's not a tool. It's not a tool like that. The fact of the matter is, good software is exponential. Good software will produce winner-takes-all markets. And this is what I've been reiterating for the past few years. This is why I started this brand, this media brand, Danton's Online, because I recognize that we're entering into a period of what I believe will is true transformative innovation. And through the use of AI, through use, the use of network effects and these wonderful technologies that are being introduced within our modern day, society will never be the same. Innovation is just starting. And I think this is a great case study of how the next 20, 30 years are going to be entirely different when it comes to technology, innovation, warfare, commercial use of software, so on and so forth. So Alex Copper said many times, and I think this is really important to reiterate the fact that there is an exponentiality within software and data. The one that has the best software solution is going to win. They're going to garner a winner-takes-all market. This is not like the, the auto industry in which you have hundreds of companies competing, the airline industry perfectly competitive, you have hundreds of airlines very undifferentiated competing. This is a winner-takes-all market. It's monopolistic. I really do believe that. The main crux of kind of this whole situation in Ukraine and Russia stems down to basically having a third eye through the use of good software and data one has the ability to uncover insights in which previously were not known. That is revolutionary. You have the insights to basically gain data from space and transform this into a third eye. Incredibly revolutionary. Incredibly. Fundamentally, this shows that good software is a necessity. And it's only a matter of time, in my opinion, until this correlates and transforms over to the commercial space. I think, as we'll speak up momentarily, war is a great catalyst for innovation. And that's where I want to touch upon the radar and my analogy of the radar and Palantir and how Palantir is going to be as influential as the radar was for the last century. Governments around the world are looking at this event. The UK government released in recent times a data sheet in which highlighted the necessity of good data and software and it was basically speaking about Palantir without identifying their name. And this was based on the events in which happened during COVID. Palantir was introduced within the UK's NHS and resulted in the world's fastest vaccine rollout. This is not a coincidence. This is not trivial. We're early. I really do believe so. Governments around the world are looking at this event and they're realising that good software is a necessity. There's no other way around it. If you don't have good software, you're going to be at a disadvantage. End of. This leads me on to the second point that I made within the article, which you can read on dantons.com, in which speaks towards Palantir and the radar. And for those that don't know, the radar was probably one of the biggest innovations we've had over the past 30, 40 years. Well, specifically back in World War II, it was an innovation which totally changed the course of history. And without the radar, it's likely that the Germans would have won. History would have never been the same. I'll speak about that within one moment. But I think it's firstly, wise to note the acceleration of innovation that occurs within a war environment. And this is not trivial by any means. This is incredibly important to understand. Within times of disorder and mass chaos, 
innovation prevails and it succeeds. We've seen this within COVID. We've seen this within Ukrainian war. Innovation prevails and solves issues within times of chaos. I spoke with a man called Jim Harris very recently. He's worked with IBM. He's a consultant uh, when it comes to innovation. He's a keynote speaker and he's basically solely focused on innovation. And we had an amazing podcast together. He was a very nice man. And he said to me that within the two year period of COVID-19, over 10 years of innovation prevailed. That is a drastic, drastic, drastic amount of innovation that has occurred within a two year period, solely down to the chaos and the disorder that society was undergoing. The same is true for war. The same is true for war. So Palantir having this commercial side of their business within the governments, solving the hardest issues, the issues in which don't have a solution. This is only going to translate into the commercial sector over time. It's an incredible edge in which no other company has. History shows us that during times of war, the most important innovative breakthroughs succeed. One that is particularly important and interesting to me is the radar. And this was fundamental towards the innovation that transformed Britain into a technological superstar during World War II. Britain, before the use of the radar, were losing against Nazi Germany. It was undoubtable. It was almost inevitable that the Nazis would invade the small island and win the war. The Nazis had the best technology. This was until the last minute's introduction of the radar in which enabled Britain to totally transform and change the wave of war. There are disturbing and almost drastic similarities between the radar and Palantir. I think, and I would go as far as stating, that for the next century, Palantir is as fundamental for the next century as the radar was during the 1900s. To explain further, what there, there were really serious projections and predictions that Britain would lose the war against the Nazis. In the looming battle of world powers, you had an interesting situation in which the Allies lagged far behind the enemies in what Winston Churchill actually labelled as the secret war or the race for the most powerful technologies. Germans had the submarines, in which were called U-boats, in which threatened to dominate the Atlantic and strangled supply chains to Europe. They also had planes in which were ready to basically disseminate Britain, outclass those held by the British army. By far, it wasn't even a question. The Germans, the Nazis, had the best technology, and they were winning the war. End of. There was also a horrific discovery uh, of nuclear weaponry, a nuclear fusion, in which put Hitler within reach of weapons with almost unimaginable power. It was this close. It was incredibly close. The enemies were winning, and they were winning because they had the best technology. Until the radar. The radar changed this. The radar changed the course of history forever. And not many people know about this. Not many people understand this. The radar changed the course of history forever. So interestingly, I think there's similarities between Palantir and the radar. And the radar was actually discovered in, 1990, in, in 1922, sorry, which is almost 20 plus years before the World War II started. So the radar was actually discovered in 1922, which was... 10, 20 years before World War II started. So you had a radar, one of the most influential technologies ever. It was discovered 20 years before the war. 
but the Raider was deemed as a passing fad. It was deemed as a joke. It was trivialized. People said it would never work. This is commonly present within outstanding technological breakthroughs in which change the course of history. These technologies are trivialized. However, eventually they end up transforming the way society is run. Leo Young and his partner, Hoyt Taylor, accidentally discovered the use of the radar whilst experimenting outside in the early 1920s. After recognizing the importance of the technology, the youths approached the US governmental officials to research into their breakthrough and perhaps adopt the technology into current warfare. However, the, U However, the government officials were not interested. They trivialized it. They said it was a joke. It was a passing fad. For over 20 years, those that identified the radar had no luck. They had no success. Nobody wanted their technology. Nobody wanted their breakthrough. Nobody was interested. It was a joke. In fact, one chief wrote that the idea was a wild dream with practically no chance of success. However, just a few years later, the technology would change the course of history forever. The radar was the most important innovation of the time. Without the radar, it's likely that the Nazis would have won. It's almost inevitable that the Nazis would have won. This one piece of technology changed the course of history. It was only until the 1940s in which the UK, US government recognised that the enemies had a huge drastic lead upon anyone else when it came to specifically technological innovation and breakthroughs. And this resulted in a specialised team that was put up t to nurture and to create loonshot innovations. That was in the 1940s, 20 plus years after the initial discovery of the radar. By the end of the 1940s, you had the best physicians and the best technologists which came together and were solely focused on nurturing loon shots and were solely focused on developing the microwave radar. This was over 20 years after the initial discovery of the technology. That is outstanding. In July, Hitler attacked and his generals anticipated that the army, in which had almost as many planes almost as twice as many planes as the RAF would achieve air superiority in just two to four weeks. Hitler's generals developed a plan for a land invasion of Britain in which would follow the victory in the air, but this victory actually would never come. The British radar would detect enemy aircrafts before they neared the coast. The intelligence enabled Britain to concentrate their limited forces against each wave of attack, and one German bomber said within a writing, that if there were any more missions like this, then the chance of survival would be nil. The radar totally changed the course of history, and I believe there are similarities between the radar and Palantir. Two days later, Hitler postponed the land invasion of Britain, and this was Hitler's first loss of the war. Fundamentally, the radar changed the direction of the war. The radar was one of the most influential reasons as to why Britain won the war. I believe there were disturbing and super interesting similarities between Palantir, software, and the radar back in the 1940s. I believe Palantir's technologies will be as influential for this century as the radar was for the last. I really do believe that. I think it's almost inevitable now. I think we've seen mass amounts of evidence within Ukraine and the Russian war. Isaac Kopp also spoke about the procurement process. Within his speech, he mentioned the necessity of the procurement process. 
But what does this actually mean? I don't think many, many people actually understand what this means. Within software, there is a very strange dynamic in which, from an outsider's POV, it can be very hard to understand what the software actually does, whether it works or whether it does not work. And Panther's global defense lead actually stated within recent times that there is a interesting problem within selling software. He mentioned within a quote that often it's hard to tell if something actually works, if software actually works. Commonly present is mismatch between the casual observer understanding if the software functions or not. And this, this can become very problematic for software companies. If these software companies are unable to showcase their technology in real time, it's a big problem. So therefore, you often have a common mismatch in which Alex Karp reiterated uh, between the procurement process and the best software actually winning. Luckily for Palantir, they have the ability to showcase their product in real time. They are competing against PowerPoints, CIOs who state that we're going to build this in five years' time but never actually end up building it. This is not the case with many other software companies. They don't have the ability to showcase their product in real time. It's not a thing. They don't have it. They're dreaming. Alex Kopp also mentioned the, mentioned the point of the governmental lawsuit back in 2019. And then my writing uh, on downtons.com, Palantir was involved within a lawsuit in which the US government were basically looking towards, they weren't looking towards the commercial markets for software solutions. So this was actually called USCC 2377 Commercial Item Preference Law. And this stated how governments must look towards the commercial markets before attempting to build in-house solutions. Back in the 1980s, governments were basically building everything in-house, everything. And this led to much higher costs, whilst the lack of successfully functioning products. And Doug Philippo in the Global Defence League for Palantir mentioned the unfor unfortunate friction that was previously present within governments after Palantir won the lawsuit. This totally changed the game. The governments were forced, and rightly so, they were required to look towards the commercial sector for good software solutions before building things in-house that never actually ended up working. Doug Philippome expressed his unfortunate association with the partisans and the overall elongated decision-making process within governments. And Doug Philippome mentioned how soldiers wanted the platform in the past, but they could not get it. There was too much friction associated within, within the governments. The friction was too immense. Palantir, after winning the lawsuit, ended up setting a precedent for the case, reinforcing the necessity that governments must look towards the commercial clients first, instead of trying to build everything in-house. This is a very big change, and Alex can't mention this within the speech. Practically speaking, sometimes governments attempt to build things in-house first. This was in full knowledge that government solutions fail 93% of the time, so despite the fact that government solutions fail pretty much all the time, 93% of the time, they were still trying to build things in-house, and some of them still do today. Unfortunately, governments would just change the name of the project, and they would continue the progression. Doug specifically stated how there are small political pockets in who still want to build software solutions in-house, despite the knowledge that these software solutions are very bad in comparison to the commercial solutions available. So basically, Palantir were focused on software solutions that changed the game. And they were focused on a fairer procurement process in which enabled the government to look towards the commercial space and therefore recognize, okay, this works, this does not, this is better than this, this is better than this, instead of looking in-house within the governments. Alex Karp also mentioned within the commentary about East v West and the common misconception 
that I have very strong opinions on regarding the fact that China is going to overtake the US when it comes to technological innovation and software. I really disagree with this, and I think I agree with Alex. Alex Harp spoke about the ESV West and the common belief that the US is losing within their so-called software battle against China. For me, this highlights a key point that many investors overlooked. I'm a big fan of intangible factors, and I am going to be writing about this in the coming days and weeks. Intangible factors are fundamental when it comes to analysing a company, and I believe that intangible factors are fundamental when it comes to having a leaning indication of where that company is going to be from a financial perspective. Financials are often lagging behind intangible factors. Intangible factors are probably the most important factors it comes to. When it comes to looking at companies, intangible factors are key. And not many investors understand them. They don't understand. Intangible factors include things such as talent, culture, and structure. Very hard factors to compute. But they can be done. It can be done. It can be recognized. And these intangible factors, as I mentioned, are leading indicators of the finances of that company. So this highlights for me a very interesting point, one of human organization. This is the idea that world, re world revolutionary companies are often a function of one specific speciality. A company is purely the organization of humans towards one main objective, thus the way in which these humans are organized. The methods of cultural structure can enable these humans to produce outstanding results. This is why Apple is so successful. This is why Palantir will be so successful. This is why Google is so successful. It stems down to human organization. That is all. Through a good human organization, one has the ability to enable the flow of ideas throughout the company, regardless of rank or status. This is an incredibly important initiative to really investigate and to understand as a retail investor. Also, through good human organization, this is the way to correctly align incentives for success. For example, startups usually are a good place when it comes to looking at game theory and incentive structures in human organization. Why? Well, because the incentive structures are aligned for success. If the company wins, if they innovate, if they change the world, everyone will become multi-millionaires, they'll become very famous and very successful. But if the company fails, everyone will be homeless, they'll have no good house, they won't be rich, they won't be famous. The incentive structures are aligned for success within the startup. But within larger organizations, often this is not the case. Sometimes incentive structures are aligned to gossip, internal politics, and a focus on sole status in comparison to innovation. And this is why I believe many companies often fail. The same applies to nations. How can the good idea, how can the flow of good ideas succeed within a dictatorship? It can't. It can't. The flow of good ideas cannot succeed within a dictatorship. People are more focused on rank and status rather than taking true risk. If you can't speak up or question a narrative, then how in the world are you going to innovate? And you can't. Fundamentally, a radical dictatorship halts the flow of ideas and dialogue and discussion. And this is going to become the main failure, I believe, for the East. Alex Karp reiterated this within his commentary. You also have a present issue of talent. Why is one going to work within China or Russia? With full knowledge that once the technologies bear their fruits, the technologies are going to be stolen by the governments. Fundamentally, talent is an intangible factor that is enabling the success of companies and nations. Without the best talents, the odds are against you. Failure is going to prevail. The same applies on a more holistic scale for nations, 
as it does for startups or small companies. In the realm of technology, the best of the best of the best of the best are those that produce all of the value. But it turns out that the best of the best of the best of the best do not want to work within radical dictatorships. So, main takeaway from this writing, from this commentary, I believe that Palantir's technology is going to be as influential for this century as the radar was for the last. I believe that Palantir's technologies are going to be as influential for this century as the radar was for the last.